Hey, thanks for joining us for this. Our last time discussing the issues that Rabbi Yona brought up, I think so remarkably and importantly, at the end of the third shar, and it's a long shar, which is why a lot of people maybe don't get to it, the end of the third shar of Sharei Tshuva, which is, I stress now, and I'll stress it again later today, a halachic shar in lots of ways, even though Sharei Tshuva are called our gates of repentance, he structured his entire view of repentance in the third shar on the idea of that how we repent depends on the severity of what we did. And unless we recognize the severity of what we did, then meaning if I think I, uh, if I think I ate something that was maybe a, you know, a chumrah of the last hundred years not to eat, a stringency, the last years not to eat, and it's actually, God forbid, a current prohibition in the Torah itself, my repentance will not reflect what I did and therefore will be lacking. In the name of that, Rabbi Yonah made this whole halachic structure where he went from what was the, quote, least, unquote, because it's all important, it's all significant, as he is at pains to stress throughout the Shah, but the least significant, which are rabbinic rules, all the way up to the most significant. And at the end of the most significant, he attached these four. I think he's trying to let us know these four, which are the ones for which we are not mikabel p'nei but we will not merit to greet the divine presence. Are in some senses at the top of the of the chain of what we needs uh, the highest level of repentance. So we'll come back to that because we're really wrapping up today. This is our last time. But last time, which is our previous time, because it's usually the last time. Our previous time, I didn't get around the words in the discussion of nivel peh, where I pointed out the nivel peh was not only about using certain kinds of words, but it was about a general uh, version of, of not uh, not refined language. I wanted to just remind ourselves of this debate between, uh, it's not a debate, of, of the Rambam made a claim of the Hebrew language. The Ramban disagreed to it, and the course of disagreeing to it reminded us of, I think, also important, interesting questions, interesting issues. So the Rambam writes in the third section of the Noran in the third part, the eighth chapter, he says, you already know, and I'm not going to read it so much inside, I'm going to be translating it freely in my translation, which is always a bad translation, but I hope it's close enough that it's not significantly problem, and it's not a significant problem. He says, you already know the significance of the prohibition of nivlut ha-peh. So nivlut ha-peh, that phrase that we saw, that we saw our previous time, but Rinyone didn't define so well, he didn't define it perfectly well either. He says, aside from everything else, it's obligated because... It is miskulat b'nei adam. It's part of what makes us human. And it is a kindness or a good the bounty, a good benefit that Hashem gave us to separate us from other creatures. As it says, misam pel adam. Who was it who gave a mouth to people? That's the verse that says that. So it's reminding us that the idea that Hashem gave us a mouth to speak was a gift. And then obviously Hashem gave me the language to teach other people things. And therefore, we have to use this bounty, this benefit, this favor, this gift God gave us for purposes of lishlemut. Right? Shlemut is this important word to the Rambam, the idea of achieving not perfection, because none of us will reach perfection, but striving for perfection, getting closer to perfection. So if we use our language negatively, wrongly, badly, Rambam is pointing out, it's not only that we're doing something bad, it's that we're also misusing a gift, and that's a lack of gratitude there. We should be using to learn, to teach. So among the great things that we'd be doing wrong is that we 
and, and the, the, he says, and the non-Jews out there, and he uses all sorts of derogatory terms for them, they think that, that song and language and, and creativity of language, you know, poems, this is something that was an issue in Ramam's time, this is an issue in our time in Ramam's time, it was wanting parties. And at wanting parties, you would have lewd poetry. And some of that lewd poetry, I remember living in graduate school, was not just of the sexual variety, but it was unfortunately part of the, of the homosexual variety, even back then, in the time of the Ramam. It's not like it's a new thing, the challenges of, of maintaining a proper sexuality. So the Ramam's pointing out that we're using something essentially human, importantly human, and the people around us use it for. I just saw an article uh, about movies. It was an article. Oh, it was an article about Magic Mike, this third installment of this terrible series of movies, which none of which I've seen, thank God. But it was about the fact that there's not enough sex in movies anymore. Right? The movies have gotten too chaste. And it talks about the superhero universe of the Marvel universe. So there's almost none of that in it, which I, I turned to, to someone and I said, you know, now I know why I like those movies so much because you don't have to worry about it because they're not about those things. They're about values. And anyway, so the Ramam's pointing out that, the, and here the point is that you can find people around this who will not only miss the Ramam's point, they'll make the exact opposite of the point. They say, no, of course we should be using our language and our creativity and everything we can do good with things for these kinds of maneuver things. And he's saying the exact opposite of the Ramam. The Ram is saying, this is a gift of God's we should be using for ourselves for the right reasons. We've been told we have to be a nation of priests. We have to be separate and sanctified. So if we use our thoughts or our words in things that have to do with just sensuality. Now, this is sensuality, just for the purpose of sensuality. Now, the Rambam was, uh, in some sense, seems to have been an anti-physicalist. Meaning the Rambam I, I'm not pretending I know the Ram well enough to know this. I'm saying an impression you can get from the Ram could be that Ramam scholars would tell me that I'm completely wrong. But it, the Ramam seems to treat the body as almost a distraction. As almost like God chose to put us in this physical body and we have to do physical things with it. We have to tend to it. And God made us be in society, so we have to tend to society. And there are mitzvahs that are involved in that. But really, the best thing is to be thinking about Torah and keeping the Torah and, and, and doing it that way. That's the world the Ramam seems to have lived in. Whether or not that's fully true, he does say here and in other places that these senses, the purely physical enjoyment and pleasure of the senses, it's an embarrassment to ourselves. Now, what he means is, I think what he means is, this is my understanding of what he means, is that... Um, if people have an animal side, the physical, sensual side, and an, and, and an angelic side, a side that tends towards more the intellect, understanding God, and things like that, the animal side of us is a leftover. It's almost like a vestige. It's a leftover. It's an embarrassment. There are other ways to, to see those things. I think there are people who would argue that no, that God wanted us to fuse the two, and that they're supposed to both both supposed to play a role, with the physical presumably playing a subordinate role, but a role. In any case, whether whatever it is, the Ramam's view is it's embarrassing. The person thinks that you know drinking or or you know or finding more wives, or spending more time with more physical, intimate time with one's wife, right? That that doing it more than necessary. Or person says, you know, the person will recite poetry where the poet has decided to focus on inappropriate things, right? The person is taking the gift that God gave us and misusing it. That's the Ram's point. As an example of this, he says, He thinks this is part of the reason why Hebrew is called Chazal Kol Hebrew Lashon HaKodesh, the sanctified language. 
He says it's not exaggeration, it's not a mistake. He says the truth. And the sanctity of the Hebrew language, he says, is because it doesn't have words for certain things. He says there's no word for what we in English call genitalia. Right? Not male genitalia, not female genitalia, right? Or for the act that brings the God calls it the Gufa Ma'asabila the act that brings about conception. So there is an English word for that. Everyone knows the English word for that one, right? But he's saying there's no actual. So if you think about it, there's things like shriva, which means to lie down. There's bia, which means to come. They're all metaphors he's saying. They're all euphemisms. There's no actual word for it. In the Hebrew language. used borrowed words and hints. And the reason is that these aren't things that we should be talking about too much. And therefore, we shouldn't spend our language time on giving them their own word. We should just use nicknames or hints or metaphors and things like that. Um, for example, this is a kriminaish, the male organ, kid. And now the word gid doesn't mean the doesn't be specific the male organ, it means an organ. We we'll use it for that way and uh, because we know what we're talking about, and therefore you can do it. Same thing uh, with all of the other parts of the body. That's the Ramam's claim. So the Ramam's idea of Nivulpe is that Nivulpe is whenever we turn our language to parts of life that shouldn't be the focus of our lives, we make them the focus of it. They shouldn't be so interesting to us, shouldn't be shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't deign to deal with them directly in this way other than we absolutely have to and then we can do it by hint and and and, and attribution and allusion and that's what the evil language does and that's what makes it Allah Shemakodesh and it's all a reminder that our language is a gift from God that we're supposed to use for these higher purposes the Ramban disagrees and he disagrees in the, in the, parish, on the, on the commentary on Chomish in Parsha Kitisa he says um he says, it seems, that this is about the word lo shekel HaKodesh, right? When the Torah introduces the idea of giving money to the Beit HaMikdash, it talks about machasita shekel, half a shekel, the shekel HaKodesh. So theoretically, that means the, the holy shekel. So he's gone through a whole bunch of things with, with our topic, so I didn't bother to deal with them. But he says, it's clear that the language is Kodesh, the language of Kodesh, Kodesh, Kodeshim, Hatam Shizkiel Dati Enonim. He doesn't say that, um, he doesn't agree with Ram about the language issue. He says, Kima there is a word in Tanakh for Yishgalena. And the Ramban is saying, he thinks that's the actual word for it. And they turn it to Yishkavena, right? He thinks Yishgalena is the actual word for what we in English would call sexual intercourse. There is a word in the Hebrew language for it. We in Tanakh, for whatever reason, will switch the word for Yishkavena, we'll lie down with her, which is in fact a euphemism. And then there's a word in, in Melach and Bet in a different context called Chorehem. Which is the actual word for excrement? The Rambam, so the, the Rambam is saying there are words for these negative things, right? But so he thinks that it's not just the language just avoids them completely. Um, he doesn't think that's true. That the language avoids them completely. He thinks that uh, that it does have words for these things. We just tend not to use them. Okay. Then the last piece of it, the Rambam says in a different place, he says that a person is supposed to also make sure. So I bring this up because the Ramban seems to focus only on language. The Ramban in Kiddushim throws in the idea that first of all, a person should watch his his mouth from becoming defiled or disgusted by excessive eating. And from inappropriate speech. Now, excessive eating, if you said to me, which part of the body 
is at fault or should be blamed or should be saved from, protected from excessive eating, I would have thought the answer is the stomach. But he's focusing on the mouth, I think, Ramban, because it's our mouth that really pushes us to eat. It's the tastes in the mouth, the desires for that. So that's another thing to do with our mouths to be worried about and careful for our mouths. So that's that's the uh, last piece of the idea of nivulpeh, which was the fifth kind of speech the Rabbeinu had. The sixth kind that he had that we saw last hour was the Nirgan, the complainer. The version always sees the negative. One last piece on Lashon Hara, though. I just wanted to point out a Titzeliezer that I saw twice, which means that he cares about it a lot. See, Titzeliezer, I saw him twice quote this idea. He quoted two stories for it anyway. I saw him quote it a couple of times. The idea that we think that Lashon Hara is the big challenge. We have to make sure not to say certain things. He says, but I noticed, this is in his 16th volume. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, I noticed in Pirkei Tshuval Orachayim. So Pirkei Tshuval Orachayim is a collection of Chuvot, right? In a time when people didn't have huge libraries with all the volumes of Chuvot you could ever want, then you, you, you needed a book like that. It was a huge, helpful resource to give people access to Chuvot they wouldn't have seen or known. He says, Kol mar ishima ulam alavon if you look at the Muslim books, the books that try to get us to be better people, they all worry about Lashon Hara. In our times too, if you think about it. People all want to say, oh, we shouldn't tell Lashon Hara. He says, in the Pitchei Tshuva it says, whereas I complain about it, I make a fuss about the opposite. A sin that I think is a greater sin than this, the Yoter, and is also uh, better known, is also uh, is also um, is also uh, I'm sorry. It happens more often. Miniat atzmo miladaber b'makom shenitzrach latzil ashuk miad oshko. It's that you stop talking about something where somebody needs to be spoken up to be prevented and saved from thing in a monetary thing, which is part of returning a lost item, and also matters of shidukrim, right? That somebody's about to get married. The, the, the male, the man or the woman is not right for him or for her. All of that he says is it's like returning a lost object and people have to speak up. And so the interesting thing about this is the Pitre Chuba is written in the 1800s. So this is a challenge that's at least 150 years old where people think they're being so from, they're being so religious by not bringing certain things up, but there are certain kinds of information that people have the right to and they should be being told these things and they're not. Similarly, he says, I saw in, this is just, says, I also saw in the Chafetz Chaim, I bring this up because everybody thinks of Chafetz Chaim, everybody knows Chafetz Chaim, Chafetz Chaim was against Lashon Hara, he wrote whole books about Lashon Hara, which is true. And then he says about this issue, the Chafetz Chaim says about this issue, when a situation where somebody needs protecting, somebody is about to be drawn into a business transaction, a marriage, a relationship, whatever it is, it's not going to work out well for them. And you have information that's relevant. Don't think you should stand on the side and not speak and think, oh, it might be Lashon Hara. It's, it's permitted. Not only is it permitted, it's obligatory to reveal it. Because he writes there that if somebody sees that somebody wants to get engaged to somebody else and he knows that the Hassan has whatever problems. And I just spoke yesterday, somebody tells me that in a very quiet way, this person is qualified to do so. In a very quiet way, he's writing Kiddushi Tov letters. Now, Kiddushi Tov means that there was something so significant in the marriage 
that had the woman known this before they got married, there's no way she would have married the man. And then it becomes revealed later on. So we don't bring all these stories up in public, but you know the, the horror stories you hear about, you know, a guy who told his uh, prospective wife that he's in medical school and he spent the first three years of the marriage going off every day as he's going to medical school. And then she finds out she, he's not in medical school, never has been. So that's a key she does. It's just like a complete fraud. So there's situations where people know about this. I know somebody like this who got married and, and, and after the marriage, whatever, she went crazy in whatever ways. And they all, and then people said, oh, yeah, we knew that all about her. We just didn't tell her. We thought it would go okay. So the Chofetz Chaim is saying, <laughs> you got to tell people. And so that's the other half of Lashonara issues that you have to tell people these things because they need to know because they have the right to know. So the idea of the idea of Lashon Hara is only aware of not tell, revealing things where nobody's business, where nobody needs to know that, but where people have a right to know and a reason to know, then you have to know it. And I've seen a lot of chufas like this. Cesar was once asked about, because remember the chufas that I'm talking about here, he was asked about somebody who can't see well and tells his eye doctor he's not going to stop driving. So should the eye doctor tell the authorities? He says, yeah, you got to tell the authorities. Right? So, um, yeah. So that's the end of that issue that I wanted to point out in terms of Lush and Heart. Where that leaves us, and I don't think I'm going to fill the rest of our time, so I think I'm going to, here at the very end, make up all those extra minutes I stole from you throughout our discussions. First, I will say that if you have reactions, comments, questions, issues, criticisms, uh, my email is G-R-O-G as in Gidon, and then the first six letters of my last name, Rothstein, R-O-T-H-S-T, at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Um, but as a wrap-up, I just want to think about these four ketone now in the broad sense of it, right? You have kat leitzim, kat chanafim, kat shakarim, kat misapreza You have leitzim, which we usually think of as scoffers and cynics, but you remember we spent a long time working our way towards realizing that leitzim are people who don't appreciate God's world and give it the proper value and the proper sense of what it's worth. And they therefore... I'm in, I'm in a back and forth with somebody now who likes to just point out wherever he gets things wrong, people who are in some sense public servants, and yet you can see the corruption in other parts of their lives, like, see, it's all it's all a big problem. Right? So they see people who just don't see the world as being value having value, being worth fighting over and worth working at. So that's one challenge that we have in terms of the, these kinds of people. Then you have the second people with the Khanafim. So the Khanafim aren't late seamen. This is they don't necessarily deny the value of the world. But they don't seem to see the importance of fighting for the value of that world because they'll tell bad people that they're good people and they'll support bad people and they're joined with bad people in their bad initiatives. Now, this is a very hard topic, one that I've sort of started thinking more and more about because uh, bad people rarely think of themselves as bad people. They all just see the reason why what they're doing is good and right and necessary and they don't see the other side. That's part of the, the sad challenge is that that when you have these discussions, unfortunately, they'll be the kinds of people who will say, yeah, but look at this and look at this. And they'll point the finger at one true part of the puzzle without noticing the untrue parts of the puzzle. So anyway, or the other parts of the puzzle or the nuances of the puzzle. So that's the katkanafin. They let themselves support bad people. You know, if a bad person, yeah, anyway, we spoke about this already. I'm not going to go through all of the uh, specifics of each category. I just think it's worth uh, uh, this brief review. Then you had the shakarim, the idea of liars, right? Not telling the truth. And all the versions not telling the truth. And benefiting from it, not benefiting from it, just enjoying not telling the truth. But the necessity and the value 
of truth, except for where there are exceptions, there are places where it's acceptable, it's allowed to either mislead or even maybe straight out lie. And we spoke about all those complications as well, with the underlying baseline being that we tell the truth. And then finally, the idea of Lashon Hara, about what kind of information about other people, what kind of negative information about other people, and sometimes even what kind of ordinary information about other people we are or are not allowed to be sharing uh, broadly or privately, when we're supposed to, when we're required to, and when we're not. And that was also led into the whole idea of proper speech in general, both in terms of the Tapet and in terms of Nirgan, of the idea of complaining about the world or seeing the good and positive and enjoyment and value of the world. So those are our four categories, and those are our four groups of people. And these, to me, part of what uh, is valuable about it also is that while there are halachot here, and one can and should go to rabbinic authorities and get guidance on these questions, they're not cut and dried halachot. They're not, you know, chapters in Shulchan Aruch. They're not paragraphs in Shulchan Aruch where you just look it up and the, the fork is kosher or not kosher or you should dip it. Or not. It's not about that. It's more about, there's this thing out there called fuzzy logic, right? Where you don't get the exact answers. You sort of move towards it closer and closer towards the right answers each time you take up an issue, take up a problem. These are fuzzy issues of halacha. There's clearly a halachic answer to these questions, but there might be several halachic answers to these questions, and there's a range, and that's where you get room for people to think, well, once there's a range, maybe I can do anything I want and have it not count as chanafim. But that's not, that's not true either, right? Even though there's a range, doesn't mean there aren't things that are wrong. Doesn't mean there aren't people who... Sadly for them, will join these four, any one of these four groups by virtue of not using their language appropriately and not making sure to be among those people. To me, this is sort of the overall message that there's an obligation on Jews to be people who see that God gave us a great gift in the world, gave us a gift of ourselves, of our lives, of our skills and talents as symbolized by our language, which makes us human, and tasked us with doing our best to make this world as good a place as it could be, and that when we don't do those things, regardless of the specific halachic uh, value or valence of what we are or are not doing, we're missing a huge part of, we're missing an essential part of what God required us to do. And maybe it's in that sense where Yona is helping us see the Gemara and Sota says that we will therefore, God forbid, not merit greeting the divine presence. God wanted us to do this about the world. And here at a very basic level, we chose to see the world differently. We chose to use the world differently. We chose to function in the world differently. And that's a challenge that's uh, an issue to keep thinking about as we go forward so that, God forbid, first of all, we don't maybe spur us to learn the rest of the third chapter, third second of Shari Tshuva. It'll spur us to do Tshuva for all of our sins, but especially these that he puts at the pinnacle of what the results could be will remind us to make sure to be part of God's world, building it in ways Hashem would want from us, using the gifts God Hashem has given us in ways that will build the positive and will fight the negative or oppose the negative, or at the very least, not support the negative. I hope this has been productive for you, as it has been for me. It's been a great opportunity for me to review this really very interesting uh, section of Shari Tshuva. I hope you've enjoyed it, and thank you for joining us. And I think we're out. So enjoy your extra six and a half minutes today. Be well.